Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. And I'm your other host, Eddie McCarthy. And Judson, to get the guy with the baseball bat outside of my door to go away, uh, good news, I have 100 space bucks for you. Please call off your goons. I'm good for it, I promise. Well, here's the thing. You don't have 100 space bucks for me. Yeah, it's 120. You got 120, man. Don't don't be uh, chinching me on the vig there, my man. I, I'm sorry. I'm scared of the threats to my kneecaps right now. They're they're already not very good as is, but I, I have the full the full envelope is there waiting for you on the counter. I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Now bring me my money. Holy shit. What a boring game that was. Just so demoralizing. I mean, I as we talked about. When we brought up the bet, I was worried about the offensive line issues being a problem for KC, and oh, lordy child, they sure were. That would be putting it lightly. Yeah. As as always, the bad guys win. Tom Brady now has a billion Super Bowls, and we'll never be rid of him, apparently. I saw a tweet where somebody had gone through the, the data. I don't know how they even fucking do this, and had charted the dropback paths that the two QBs ran. And like Mahomes is like looks like a fucking drunk four year old with an etch a sketch. There is there is zero variation on the Brady drop back. He is he is just real quick and easy. But yeah, Pat was on some Seneca Wallace at a Iowa State shit. Like that poor guy was running for his whole life the entire game. Yeah, I, I actually I saw that tweet twice because I saw somebody else I followed that is only a Twitter acquaintance take the image and then hold it out as their own in a tweet and. So that person's a real piece of shit. That's frowned upon, I'm told. I'm going to give you some, give our listeners some real life advice that is not dry from this episode. If you're on social media and you see something cool, just credit the source. No one's going to think less of you. Just hit that RT. Yeah. Or say, you know, if you want to add your own commentary and you think a quote tweets lame, just hat tip them at the end. Anything. Just don't be an asshole. Yeah, that's just, that's just standard etiquette right there. So I called him out obliquely by asking, man, that's awesome. How did you make it? And he did not respond. That sounds about right. Well, my friend, I think it is appropriate at this point that we discuss the episode we've come here to talk about. What Let's do you say? Let's do it. Let's go. It is season two, episode three. Blood is thicker. Than what? I don't know. It's a fun callback for those of you who listened to the last episode. <laughs> Have you ever seen the rain? Great. Now we're going to get sued by CCR for that spot on singing right there. That was clearly just the audio. They're going to think, like, come on, guys. This has now become your theme song. This is no longer fair use. Get in line behind <laughs> dead Elvis, you sons of bitches. Wow. Is it, is it dead CCR? Are they alive? I don't even know. I don't even care. I'm pretty sure John Fogarty is dead. I know a guy named John Fogarty. So if he says it's OK, is it fine? Is it lead singer of CCR? Nope. Mm. Well, I mean, I mean if, if we just got if we just got him to sign on the line, which is dotted, then it's on them. If it says like I, John Fogarty, say it's a OK. Yeah. Hell yeah. Why can't you see what you're doing? To me? What you're doing to me? We open on the lucky six, as we'll soon know them to be called. Minus Danny walking through a home out in the suburbs, likely Henderson. That's where everyone in Vegas lives. It turns out they just bought as an investment property. And you know, real estate's hot. Yeah. And they decided hey, we're going to fucking capitalize on another member of the hospitality industry's bad luck and criminal enterprise and buy this motherfucking house on the cheap. 
So the six of them went in on it, still took out a mortgage. I got bad news for Sam. I don't think her belief that they're about to get rich is going to play out the way she thinks it is. Yeah, unless all they put in was like two grand each for a very small down payment. This does not seem like leverage this fucker to the hilt and build a empire of 85 Henderson homes. Yeah, we're talking what, 2004? You're you're pre bubble. You got a shot here. Oh, you're pre the first bubble. Right. They so Sam walks out, grabs a bottle of Cristal from her Lexus convertible. I'm thinking, Sam, this is not moving your needle. And by the way, the bottle of Chris that you're weight that you're blowing into the air is like your first six months of profit because your margins are going to be fucking thin. And it's been sitting in the back of your car with the hood down in Las Vegas. So it's probably warm. Great point. God, I mean, unless she just swiped it from Mystique on the way out, like eh, who gives? Whoop. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. But yeah, this does not seem like the uh, genius plan that they're all seeming to think that it is. No. Back at the casino, the missing member of the Lucky Six, Danny, is covering for Sam with some German whales when he gets approached by a couple of guys from Metro. And this is like the third time we've heard or seen Metro without any mention or sight of right hand Ruiz. And I got to say, it's a good look for Metro. They're like, oh, shit, this is the world's worst detective. We should put him back in traffic or something. I don't know. But maybe not work the strip or at least on something here, try and avoid, you know, obvious personal connections. Right. They're looking for Ed, who happens to be walking through the casino, but he is very busy. And they're like, hey, why don't we take this off the floor? We need a chat. He's like, no, no, it's fine. No, really, let's let's go talk. It's in your best interest. And Ed, come on, man. This is not this should not be news to you. Doing what you've done for 30 plus years of your life. Now working in security and surveillance. The guy who is obsessed with image is like, now I'll run right through this yellow light that just turned red. What you got for me? Uh, well, you're under arrest for murder. Whoops. I mean, the cops did everything they could. Oh, yeah. Our new Metro boys tried to give Ed the out. They were going to do this quietly. Again, like you said, help protect the image. But Ed just said, look, come on. I, clock's ticking. What do you got for me? There's there's no other out here. Like, that's on Ed. I think the only thing that they could have done at that point is say, you're under arrest. Let's let's go and we'll put the clips. We'll uh, we'll put the cuffs on you in the employee hallway. But at that point, I'd be like, no, like you fuck with the bull. You get the horns like we tried a couple times. Eat a dick. Ed. let's go. Yeah, he had two strikes on that one. You got to go at some point. You're getting Henderson perp walked out of your own fucking casino. Whoopsies. We come out of the opening credits. We're at the beautiful wax. Most of the senior staff is assembled. They're trying to figure out how they're going to handle this. Sam, the only one who's willing to call a spade a spade here. He's like, y'all, Ed definitely could have done this murder. Like, I get that y'all are super excited about defending, but y'all know what he did. Ed for sure could have fucked this guy up. Yeah, Sam is really the only person who seems to understand throughout the episode that when it comes to people who could do a murder, Ed sure is at the top of the hit list when it comes to this staff. Between the CIA history, what we have seen him do just in this job related to people, like he's gotten close a couple times just on security issues. Yeah. Obviously, defense of his daughter, which we get that one. But yeah, the fact that everyone's like, oh, there's no possible way this could have happened. At least Sam is there for some, you know, at least morsel of reality on this. 
So it gave me a moment of pause where I thought, okay, think about your roster of friends. If someone came to you and said they did a murder, I would instantly say all of my friends did not. There's no way. But then which ones of my friends would have been like, well, they could have. I came up and I'm not going to name names, obviously. I came up with four where I was like, yeah, no, I can see it. Right. Circumstances. They do a murder. I am pleased to report you're not one of them. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I'm surprised. I actually thought that you were going to say, yeah, I could see a situation where it would it would be a dark and dire one. But yeah, it could cross that line. So no, I'm glad a, to hear that. A, a different Texas attorney, though, is on the list. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's not a question. <laughs> he was actually the first one I thought of that made me go, you know, I should think about my roster of friends here because some of them could do some could do some murdering. Yeah, that one. I don't have to I don't have to go too far down that road to get to that destination. Danny grabs Mike, having talked with Metro is like, hey, bad news. Uh, DNA match for Ed at the murder scene. And even back in 2004, we know enough from CSI to be like, well, that's bad. That's not good. Mike, obviously, being our MIT engineer, goes, well, hey, they somebody could have planted it. There's, you know. Maybe he bumped into a guy and his hair got on him. And then that guy decided to go do a murder. And the only hair he left was the one from Ed that was on his sleeve. Danny's like, look, come on, Mike. They've got it. I don't know what they've got. But if the DA is going to go to a grand jury, a grand jury and get an indictment, they've got a legit case for somebody as high profile as Ed. Because and that stands pretty true to form with real life, because. You don't want to go after a high profile person with charges with some bullshit case like you've got to have something that's going to stick, because if you're wrong, not only are you going to look like an idiot, but there's definitely going to be a lawsuit coming back the other way. Yeah. And I guess the only question for me at this point is what is your favorite Grand Journey song? (sighs) I hate you so much. I'm not familiar with that one. No, it's yeah. You're you're a real jokester. I was blown away by the fact that Jillian posted Ed's bond of $5 million for two reasons. One, holy shit, that's a lot of money, like on short notice. Yeah, that's an impressive amount of cash to just have in the bank. Secondly, there's no way they're letting him out on any kind of bond, right? He's the definition of a flight risk. You'd sure think so. I mean, former spook, obviously lots of money, access to a private jet. It's I mean, maybe they got a passport surrender, but uh, yeah. Does he look like a guy that A, only has one passport and B, (laughs) gives a shit about passport control? No and no. That's fucking wild to me. And you just have to think the DA was like, your honor, your honor, I strenuously object. I know that's a meme, but seriously, I strenuously fucking object. Ed DeLine here, guys. Guys, five million. It's not sufficient. Hey, man, the interest that's going to rake up in the in the clerk's money account there. The courthouse is happy. They're good. I mean, they've got their beer slush fund paid for for a few months at least. But holy shit, I was blown away that he's out on bond. And also how cool it would have been if we got an episode of Ed calling the shots behind plexiglass the entire time. Mm, that would have been very good. Somehow, like Mike smuggles in inside of a giant cake, like one tiny monitor that has access to like five of the cameras. Here's the thing. I think if you make this episode in 2021, you do that because it's a contact lens with like fucking Google Glass in it. There you go. And, and all of a sudden you've got fucking cyborg Big Ed 
calling the shots. He's just sitting in his uh in his jail cell blinking a lot, and everyone's like, old man's fucking lost it, but really He's a, the line snapped, man. Stay away from that guy. He's got the old crazy cyber eye. I feel like cyber eye is a 21st century STD. Ooh, I do not want to ask how you get cyber eye. I think, you know, why? No, Judson. I really don't know what you mean. <laughs> so, of course, Mike and Danny trying to work out their own theories. They go. They hear Ed's back in the office after posting the bond. They go see him. Ed says, look, first off, I didn't do it. Obviously, Ed's going to say that, but you got to think Mike and Danny want to hear that, need to hear that from Ed. You need to hear it at that point. Yeah. So Ed says, look, I didn't do it. It'll get taken care of. Don't worry about it. For right now, obviously, there's a murder investigation going on. I got to step down. Y'all keep doing your jobs. Department heads will figure it out. It'll be business as usual. But please stay the fuck out of this. Danny's obviously Boy Scout ready to go. Mike is cooking up some bizarre chip that he can use to somehow prove innocence. Ed's like, look, I don't need this. Things are bad. It'll get taken care of. I've got old timey mob lawyer Lynn Heyman, best in the biz. We're good. Just stay out of it. How long do you think they're going to stay out of it, Judson? Well, I figure it's probably like six second walk from Ed's desk to the exit to his office. So like. Eight, nine seconds. About dead on. Yeah. Yeah. When Ed says, uh, you know, department heads are going to form an operations committee, it'll be great. I'd be like, obviously, you've not spent any time in corporate America. A committee running things is not going to be good. You're going to be lucky if you come back to a casino. Also, we've seen how your org chart works. What department heads? (laughs) The fucking head of showgirls is like, I think there should be more fake boas in the kitchen. Head of the kitchen's going to be like, there are already too many. We're already at logger jams. That's not what they're called. No, but I liked it. Logger heads? Logger heads, I think, is what you're going for. I think logger jam is objectively better, though. I, I agree. I'm dead on All right. with you. So let, let it be written. Let it be said. Let it be done. Whatever. Logger jams everywhere. Logger, it was always logger jams. Logger jams incorporated. Also a good name for a fake LLC if you're trying to co- create shell corps. Logger Jams LLC is the controlling interest of our how to crime and how to be rich courses. <laughs> the ladies of the Lucky Six, Les Belinda, who's at home with her parents, have assembled and set up shop in Mystique to interview potential renders for this new investment property. And it's obviously running C-Story bit time. You know, this is going to be a little thing we check in on periodically. And first up are a pair of strippers. They've got a f- couple funny jokes about you know, only paying their bills in cash. And do we look like day shift? But at the end, when it's clear they're not getting their property, Sims like, oh, I have a question. Yeah. How often do they clean the pole? I kind of wanted to know the answer. Like, I kind of wanted them to stick around long enough to say. I wasn't sure which I wanted more. The answer or for them to be like, hey, bitches, why are y'all being such assholes? We're here trying to get some property. We've got money. You need to rent this. What the fuck? They were complete jackasses to him. Yeah, here's the thing. If you're worried about credit risk in a rental property situation, jack up the amount of security deposit and how many months of rent they have to have in advance. Easy does it. Free piece of business advice. Always make a counteroffer. Don't be the one that walks away. They say, we've got shit credit. You say, fine, we need six months rent and a $5,000 security deposit. Let them be like, fuck y'all, that's ridiculous. Instead of just being like, nah, get out of here. Okay, well, fine. Yeah, obviously the casino hosting world does not translate well to the landlord world. Yeah, and also, I mean, come on, like, Sam, you are a 
frequent, shall we say, occupational visitor of strip clubs because she's always taking clients there. A proprietor, if you will. Well, she doesn't run them. But she uses their business for her own gains. Mm. I feel like we've wandered back into Ed's legal corner then. (laughs) (laughs) When you say uses their services for her own gains, my eyes roll in the back of my head. Sexually? No, from a legalese (laughs) perspective, you weird legal pervert. (laughs) But why is she, first of all, why is she being judgy? And second of all, how does she not know the answer to that question? You would think she would know the answer to that question already, but I it it really just weirded me out how much of assholes they were. Because, like, yeah, okay, clearly they're strippers. Whatever. If they can pay, it's not like they're going to do the stripping at the house. And look, Mary, 26 episodes ago, you were a call girl. Maybe don't be so fucking judgy. Just the worst. I, the girls all together by themselves is rarely a good look, I feel like. No, I think we get into some uh, male writing room writing for a bunch of women tropes. Yeah. And it doesn't strike me as a good good one. No, they they jump to mean girls real quick. You know what is good, though, is these German whales. Really? They are fuck it. I am here for them, possibly because I love Germany. Germany seems very cool. And while they are assholes, they are very funny assholes. So Sam's (laughs) got a pair of German whales. They're at a main pit blackjack table, which. Never ceases to amaze me that we haven't seen a high limit pit, not even one time, much less a salon. They've only actually got one pit set and they just keep shooting it from different angles and they don't have a way to do it as a high limit pit. Just like you need, they need some like uh, walls, like on fake rollers that they could just like quickly coordinate off and make a high limit pit. At any rate, these guys are on such a crazy run that they've decided they're eating at the table and they want to dine on German delicacies. And Sam's mere suggestion that they would want to eat elsewhere is met with such immediate repudiation that I'm like, yep, these guys are funny. I'm here for this because I can relate to it. I've been like, I don't like I'm starving or I've got to piss or whatever vital human function needs to be satisfied. And I'm thinking, well, this is a really hot table. How long can I stretch my basic human need until I literally cannot last any longer because there is obviously no doubt that the very second that you stand up once your body leaves an eight inch realm of the table all luck is gone yes i would have liked for them to interrogate the bathroom situation a little more like i didn't i don't need to see it on screen but i would have enjoyed seeing the germans talking about shystas and how are they going to square that round bag i'm i'm quite glad that they did not go down that road well that's just because you're unimaginative coward if that's what that makes me then yes yes i am here's a question though is this the first time we've seen sam wearing glasses uh no very first episode we get her as jane wearing glasses so is this the first time we've seen sam wearing Mm. glasses good turnaround i don't and i don't remember thomas jane being in the first episode (laughs) the pun the punisher is always watching do sunglasses count or i'm i'm assuming you mean standard ass spectacles yes <laughs> as they are known in the ophthalmology world as sas if you will i think the british special forces will not <laughs> what about saint andrew's school <laughs> does not have standing to litigate this matter <laughs> that was a real good check swing on what you were about to say <laughs> uh you know i don't know if we have it's a good look for her. i think she's rocking no prescription lenses though i think she's doing it just for the Accessory value. I would certainly believe that. Yeah, that's that's my theory of the case. I think it's a good one. 
So Sam gets a German squared. They're getting their their sausages, their Wiener schnitzels, their beets, which you lost me at the beets. Beets, Bears, Battlestar Galactica. That you can see on Peacock. Las Vegas still can't. You cowards. But now we even have the Beats crossover. Give us what we want. Do the right thing, Peacock. Fuck. It's just waiting for you. It's free money. Why won't you take it? We wrote the tweet for you announcing it. So many times. Sam sees Mike, knows Mike has the intel on Ed. So she beelines away from the Germans, tries to get some intel from Mike, who's pretending to stay tight-lipped for eh, less than the eight seconds that he waited to get involved in the case when Ed told him not to. Tells Sam about the old lawyer. Sam says, oh, he's great. Old mob guy. He he gets everybody off. That's awesome. Now, that's so, let me stop you because that was, I thought, kind of interesting. The first time they mentioned him, Danny was not thrilled. Len Heyman? Yeah. Is he still alive? Whereas Sam has a dramatically different take of like, great call. He's the guy you want. And I'm pretty sure I'm trusting Sam on this one. And especially we'll see later. Like when he's like, oh, is that guy? So I thought we were going to get like a fucking 86 year old, you know, geriatric lawyer, like fucking. Uh, Fast Tommy. The, well, I was thinking the dealer uh, from the episode. Oh, where Julio. Julio. Like I thought we were going to get like a fucking spaghetti down the side of the chin lawyer. Instead of we get a guy like in his 60s who is incredibly with it and well connected. I was like, what the fuck, Danny? Like, yeah, you're a real ignorant piece of shit. Danny, not who you want to go to for your uh, legal advice, clearly. No. But here again, we get the, you know, Mike says, well, Ed said he didn't do it. And Sam's all, yeah, OK, that's good. Mike's like, you don't think he could, do you? And Sam's, of course, goes, yeah. Uh, who are we talking about here? And goes through the whole thing we were talking about earlier where, yeah, uh, if anyone's going to be able to pull this off, it's 100 percent Ed. OK, so the core cast is seven people right now. We got Ed, Danny, Mike, Sam, Mary, Nessa, Delinda. In order from most likely to murder to least likely to murder, what's your rankings? Go. Ed's one. Ed, Danny, two. To murder? Sam, for murder, yes. Homicide, yes. I'm going to put Sam, two, Danny, three, because murder to me has a specific connotation. I don't know that Danny does murders. I think Danny does a variety of homicides, but Sam is more likely to murder. I am curious as your as to your delineation between homicide and murder, if you would explain, please. So there was an old George Carlin bit. I guess they're all old at this point where he was talking <laughs> about how one day a year you should be allowed to. I think it was either hit or kill somebody. But the thing was, you couldn't do it for uh, some like bullshit trumped up reason. It had to just be like, I didn't like the guy. I feel like Sam would be much more willing to go thermonuclear with her dislike of someone than Danny would. And so I think Sam has a complete lack of conscience. 100%. She is a Sam is a walking libertarian turned to 11. And if <laughs> murdering you will improve her bottom line, she is here for that. I mean, I I have Sam 3 because I certainly understand that, but I the reason I put Danny at 2 is one, obviously training helps with it considerably but we've also seen on multiple occasions throughout the show him ready to do it and then get pulled away in the nick of time i see i think those are all i think those are all going to end up being manslaughters like he he's not he's not going down for murder he's gonna be like well i mean there's this mitigating circumstance and like i mean he really just just did mean to throat punch the guy like come on whereas it's gonna be like uh miss marquez we have audio tape of you 
coordinating the location of the victim with a hired assassin. And she'll be like, yeah, aunt. Well, that's murder. (laughs) It is strange that you brought your obnoxious client outside to the parking lot with a very large red X, told him to stand there, and then dropped a literal cartoon anvil weighing 14 tons on his skull. All right, but so we've got them two and three. Either way, who's in your four hole? This is where it gets tough. I think Nessa yep. has as the mysterious background, obviously the familial connections. She seems like the safest four. Mm, this is where it gets tricky. I think I would go Delinda, Mary, Mike. I'm going to flip Delinda and Mary because I think Delinda doesn't have the stick to that murder requires. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. I, my pause was whether to go Mary or Delinda. I mean, Mike is obviously last. There's no way he could do it. Which is ironic because he's got the best skill set for it outside of Ed and Danny's training. Because you know Mike's getting away with that fucking murder. Oh, yeah. Like, like he is made in this. Sh- like Ed and Danny are relying on like they've got top notch kill skills and the connections to get away with it. Mike is going to plan this thing out for 219 days and they won't even suspect the person was murdered. Yeah, he will. He will not be within 300 miles of the actual murder happening, but there will be a series of crazy computer tricks that he will use to make sure that you end up dead. He actually will have put a Skynet esque satellite into space that kills you and then burns up in the atmosphere. So there's not even a murder weapon. Wow. It's it's taking the icicle dagger to like the nth degree. Correct. He he's created a he's created a satellite based icicle rail gun. Okay. Okay. Now we're fucking talking. And then burns up the satellite on re-entry. Wouldn't the icicle melt on re-entry? <laughs> so he's developed a heat shield. <laughs> okay. So so it's like a it's a it's a capsule around the icicle. Detects the ozone. That's ablative heat shield. And then that breaks up into small pieces. Uh, they get scattered, you know, in the upper atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That way no one else gets hurt. And then the icicle free from its prison clocks the dude in the head. Boom. Love it. It's yeah. a master plan. That is for, that is definitely from our graduate level how to crime class. Yeah, you 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 are not getting in that one day one, even year one listener. You need to I mean, maybe maybe if you got a five on your criming AP exam, we could talk about you placing into it. But it's going to be tough. There is another entry test before that. (laughs) (laughs) So back in security, Danny is predictably ignoring Ed's wishes and is dick deep in the case. We find out this murder victim is a physicist that was beloved by the community. Guy named Halleck did all this community service shit by all public accounts. A real stand up dude. Yeah. Donated all money from all of his inventions to at risk youth, a real saint of the community, as they say. Yeah. So Danny and Mike are like, okay, well, this is this is not looking good. We got to try and find an alibi for Ed and discover he plays golf every third Tuesday of the month. Smack dab in the middle of the afternoon. Great alibi. It's looking good. So Danny's like, hey, Mary, I need your help. I found these three golf courses that are within the driving, you know, this this time window where you could get there, play around, get back. I need you to help me work the starters for information. Show your tits. What do you say? She's like, yeah, no problem. What was weird about that scene, though, was 
he had her meet her in Bellicera. He starts off with this very stilted, like, uh, but thank you for meeting me here. I need- Holy shit, Danny, you're taking the didn't get an answer on the proposal thing to the like awkward. OK, now you'll salute every time the officer comes into the room into the line here. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it's a bad bit because it's really dumb and uncomfortable and I hated it. But and we it never was- saw it again this episode, but it was weird. Yeah, I. I, I, it hit me strange the same way, and I because it never came back again, I just kind of let it go. But hopefully that's it for it, because I did not like it one bit. No. At Ed's house, or frankly, I think villa is probably the more appropriate term, he's meeting with his attorney, again, who seems a very with it, appropriately aged senior litigator. Like, he is who I would want to hire. Uh, yeah, if I was wrongly accused of murder, he seems like the type of dude I would want in my uh, defense corner. And I think especially if I were rightly accused of murder, he's the guy I want in my defense <laughs> corner. Sure. I mean, he definitely seems like the guy where you're like, OK, you're hired. Attorney client privilege. I did it. I 100 percent did it. I would still like to very much not go to prison. You're he's my gonna guy. Be like, he's going to be like, cool. Do you have a leather glove that is four sizes too small that we can use as a prop? These gloves are too small. The bad news, saith our legal friend, is the case seems pretty ironclad. Uh, He used connections within his firm to get early access to the case file. And the murder scene, pretty gruesome. And some of the blood of that scene belongs to Ed. Yeah, old uh, old science boy got garroted pretty hard in a lovely golfing sweater. So seemingly at the golf course. Plenty of blood on the shirt, and we find out that it's Ed's blood. That's a little harder to fake than, you know, you bumped into a guy and his dandruff got on you. Yeah, this isn't a, I plucked the hair off your hairbrush and left it at the crime scene for them to find. It's, I squirted the ketchup bottle fucking everywhere, and the ketchup was your blood. Wouldn't it have been safer to use a mustard bottle? Because if you use the ketchup bottle, then you might get confused because they're both red. But if you use the mustard bottle, then you know, okay, this is the blood one, not the actual one. Ed, it's so it's such a simplistic read of the situation. What happens when you're walking out of the scene of the crime? Crime scene, scene of the crime. And someone's like, why is there ketchup in that mustard bottle? Mm. That can't be mustard. That must be blood. And just like that, you're going to prison. Boom. Kids, this is how you tamper with evidence. <laughs> is it tampering with evidence? I guess it is. You're tampering with the crime scene if you plant evidence. Yes. Yeah. And that's also that's also a boo-boo. Yeah. And it's kind of all under the umbrella. When you're going down for murder, like, who gives a shit at that point, right? Like, you're not worried about the wild. tack-ons. Yeah. Yeah. We come out of commercial. Mary and Danny are at the golf course. Presumably the first one of the three. And they're trying to get the starter to help them out. And I say the first one because they clearly have not rehearsed their patter. No. Danny goes in strong with what I think can best be described as like a clinical cop-like approach. Hello, sir. I am requesting some information about a golfer at a specific time, date, and location. Guy's like, fuck off. Mary's like, hi, I have tits. Can we chat? He's like, "Uh, yeah, this one's. Hey, yuck, sir, this is the approach that was going to work. You should have just led with this one. It is very strange how much better that approach worked. I have good news and bad news for you, Ed. Okay, let's go. Give me bad news first. The bad news only makes sense in the context of the good news coming first. 
Give me the good news first. Good news. Ed was there. He was playing golf like they'd hoped. Alibi, baby. Let's go. What about the bad news? So was the victim. Oh, that could be a coincidence. In the same group, yeah. Oh, it's- yeah, no, that's, that's not good. Uh, what if the scientist welched on a skin's bet and that's what happened? Is it okay? Would I forgive Big Ed or would Clark County? Well, as its namesake, I feel like your thoughts would go far here. My opinion carries weight, but it is not. Uh, Long ago, I renounced my claim to the Clark County monarchy. I felt the people needed to be able to rule themselves. So as their figurehead, certainly my opinion carries weight, Mm. but it is not the, you know, be all end all of, say, you know, a dictator. Mm, That's fair. Very magnanimous of you. Yeah. And all I ask is that once every two or three days, one of the hotels on the strip bombard me with offers asking me to come play blackjack during a pandemic. That's all I ask. And so far, they've done it. Huh. It, you know, it's, I got it's always five getting... today. Jesus. I'm not even kidding. I, I got five. I think I got three or four. Bellagio's was the best. Judson, it's been a while since you stayed with us. Like, motherfuckers, there's been a global pandemic. Yeah. I would hope it's been a while since everyone has stayed with you, you idiots. Y'all y'all forget about that COVID? Yo, there's this thing called the vid running around. I ain't coming. Book now between February, now and February 20th and get two free nights. That's 11 days, you idiots. Hey, what if, as a throw-in, they give you a free deadly virus? So here's the thing. Vegas hotels, casinos, if you're listening, here's what I'll commit to. I will commit to $25,000 of spend between the table games, food and beverage, everything, all in. What I need in exchange is a room for six weeks. And when I get there, I get the first vaccine. And three weeks later, I get the second vaccine. And then three weeks after, I'm vaccinated and I'll leave, having racked up 25 grand in room service in the meantime. (laughs) Who says no? I I feel like they would say yes to that. That seems like a pretty good deal for them. All right. Well, y'all know where to find me. At Montecito Pod on Twitter. And vaccines for my wife, too. Yeah, good call. Yeah. We're a package deal. God, can you imagine if if half of the household got vaccinated? They're like, sweet, let's go out to dinner. And the other half's like, fuck you, idiot. I, st- I could still get the deadly virus, you dipshit. <laughs> well, but I got vaccinated. Cool. So so I'll just go eat at the bar and bring you some some take home. Is that good? We good? You want to sit in the car? I get, how does this work? So we cut to the Villa de Deline. Ed, Jillian and Delinda eating lunch. Delinda freaking the fuck out. Jillian watching Ed finish fixing a door and cracking jokes about, man, if it gets you to do some housework, you should kill people more often. Delinda not enjoying it. She's freaking the fuck out. She doesn't understand how Jillian is so chill. I guess she's not surprised Ed is, but is like, what? this is a real thing. Y'all should be worried. Jillian says, look, your dad's been through stuff like this. It's not a big deal, which of course leads to Delinda asking, wait, have you been charged for murder before? And Ed kind of says no, but not in a very convincing way. No, I was not convinced. Yeah, he just sort of laughs it off. It's like, you know what? 
a lot of people don't like me. I've made a lot of enemies over the year in my line of work. These things happen. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Ed, a lot of people don't like me. And to my knowledge, I have not once been accused of murder. I mean, you got that going for you, at least. It is maybe the only way in which I am better than Ed DeLine. A weird (laughs) thing, though, I want to touch on. He's talking about how this door that he just fixed has been letting out all this air conditioning as these two giant French doors are wide open to the world. <laughs> like, uh, Ed, I, f- I figured out the problem. <laughs> yeah. Hear me out. It may not be the weather stripping. It might be that y'all eat lunch with the doors open. Yeah. And I, AC prices in Vegas, that can't be cheap. You might want to close those bad boys. And we know the pool's open. So we know it's not December. Right. Just say it, Ed. Maybe don't worry about the weather stripping if you're going to leave the doors open. A little bit of a little bit of deck chair rearranging going on there. Iceberg, right ahead. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Delinda freaking out, thinking, okay, her mother will explain why this is all okay. And Jillian just says, No, you're good. Don't worry about it. Just go live your life as normal. If you act like everything's okay, everyone else will believe it's okay. It's fine. Which seemingly is enough for Delinda, even though it was not very convincing at all. I was a little surprised at the dichotomy of the two. Like I get Jillian being cool as a cucumber about it. She's been there before. But Delinda being so far on the other end of the scale was a little surprising to me because she's like through season one was very routinely like, you know what my dad did. Like, come on. The only thing that made sense about that is, you know, Delinda knows what her dad used to do, but she's only been back in Vegas. I mean, essentially since season one and she had been gallivanting around the world. She hadn't been dealing with the actual reality of CIA Ed since she was a little girl. And so this like actual, oh shit, my dad might actually be in danger. And it's not just some jackass with a light wand, maybe bringing it home to roost a little more. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess my bigger issue with the scene is the fact that they have an excess of $5 million in assets for Ed's bail, but can't hire a handyman. Like Jillian, what the fuck are you waiting for? Pay some dude $150 to fix the door. You don't you don't like, think that there has been a conversation every dinner for the last like year and a half of Ed saying, yeah, I'll get to it. Don't worry about it. Don't hire anybody. Yeah, I think at some point, though, Jillian just hire somebody. It doesn't say anything like that does seem considerably more likely. It's 100 percent what she would do. Uh, don't worry about the door. It fixed itself. Oh, OK, you think Ed's going to interrogate that? Like, no, he's, he's just, just happy like you're, he's happy. She's not complaining about it anymore. Yeah. One last nag you got to deal with. Great. The ladies of the lucky six are back for round two of the interviews. This second session round two implies the same people are back again. Delinda walks in like she said, like you said, Jillian's guided her guided her towards having a brave face and she's trying to do the best of it. And the ladies have interviewed some firefighters who are, who are pondering renting the place. And Sam uses a seemingly unlimited veto on the basis that their work schedule of two weeks on and two weeks off, the entire house could burn down while they were gone. And no one would know a funny, funny choice of, uh, of disaster, but I've got a different issue with this scene. That being there were more firefighters than could reasonably fit in that house. I think they were contemplating the two weeks on two weeks off scenario and had planned on splitting the house. Because there was like six fucking firefighters. That was kind of my guess, too. I mean, I guess we didn't get a full mapping of the house. I sure wouldn't have thought six dudes were going to live together in it. But if you're splitting two on, two off, it seems like you could get a real easy setup going there. Yeah. And also, I would think, again, a, a situation where you just bring up, hey, how do you all navigate the scenario in which 
you're not in the house for two weeks at a time. Oh, well, we're all on staggered schedules. So there'll always be at least one of us in the house. Okay, fixed it. Turns out this is not the best group at interviewing potential tenants. Who would have thought? Never would have seen that one coming. Mike and Danny invite Jillian to join them at the beautiful wax in an effort to do a runaround on Ed's wishes that they not help. But what an incredibly poorly thought out plan. Of course, she's going to shut them down. Boys, you're being sweet. I appreciate it. But fuck off. Ed's got this. Yeah, this is this is not the first rodeo for the Deline household. You two boys playing hardy boy detectives is cute and all, but just stay out of the way. No. And how did they think it was going to go? Like, what a weird, dumb, dumb move on their part. I will say she lets on that she has no idea where Ed has run off to, which seemed like a very weird break from what had been a previously very operationally savvy Jillian. Yeah, it should have been. He's at home eating a ham and cheese sandwich trying to relax and keep calm. He's fine. Last I saw, he was working on the air conditioning. These damn doors are so drafty. Yeah. Have you seen how big the house is? A lot of maintenance issues. Well, of course you haven't. Uh, We bought it after you went overseas, Danny. But Mike's been there. He knows what it looks like. We had him and Leo over for dinner once. Oh. Who's a douchebag? Meanwhile, Mitch rolls by. I didn't even get the invite. (laughs) Fucking Leo. I think we all know that Ed's house is not ADA compliant. Zero percent chance. (laughs) In fact, it might be ADA anti-compliant. ADA antagonistic. Yes. He just has, uh, he has six inch rods that periodically like crosses hallways as trip lines. Fuck you, Mitch. He takes pictures on him, sends it to him on his phone. Just zigzag hallways. Well, that's just riot proofing. That just makes good sense. (laughs) Ed talked about this Maserati. That Big Ed drives out into the middle of fucking nowhere. Ed heading out into the sands. We see him pretty much in the middle of nowhere and a what looks like an unmarked cop car just sitting there waiting to imagine being behind the wheel of that shitty Pontiac when this motherfucker drives up in a Maserati. I'm already thinking, I'm not going to help this piece of shit. (laughs) You you definitely know that there is a, a difference of opinion on life in the two cars going on. But we get there, Ed gets out with the credit shot, angrily slamming the car door. And two, for lack of a better term, generic ass suits get out. We get some fun. Take your hands out of your pockets. No, you take your hands out of your pockets. No, you take your hands out of your pockets. Nobody's holding. Like, just chill the fuck out. Turns out these are very clearly two uh, former company brethren of Ed's who are still with the company. The suits tell Ed that, yeah, the doc went off the reservation. He had to go. It's like, yeah, I get that. You came to me for information on the guy. I gave you the information. Your guy blew it. And now I'm getting pinned on it. What the fuck? Obviously very frustrated. Suits are like, look, man, I don't know what happened. This order came from way upstairs, way above my pay grade. He was into some bad stuff. He had to go. We don't know what happened after that. What can I do to help you? Ed very succinctly says, well, it's pretty easy. You tell the guys in Langley to make this fucking case go away. Uh, yeah, here's the thing. We can't do that. That would tell everybody that the CIA was doing stuff here. CIA doesn't operate on domestic land. That's well, crazy. Why don't you pick, off, pick from the appetizer menu is more what we were thinking. Yeah, we we're like, can we wash your clubs for you or something? Or, or check in on Jillian every now and then while you're in prison for the next 40 years. Yeah, these fuckers aren't willing to do basically anything. They're like... <laughs> So actually, this is awkward. Um, 
we meant that more as like a nice thing to say, like, what can we do for you? And we were expecting you to be like, oh, nothing. I'll take care of it. Not here's a very clear and direct request. Yeah, it's it's just so, sort of a, a courtesy thing. We got we're not yeah. going to do shit for you. It's like asking how someone is. You don't really care. It's just what you're supposed to do in polite society. Yeah, you're looking for a good you. Murray, how are you now? That's bad. You? That's bad. We're just going to hop in the Pontiac and bounce. But good luck with your shit. It sounds bad. Bye. Yeah, they bail super duper quick. And then we end up on a construction site. And I don't know about you, but my first thought was, I do not want to deal with Danny's fucking dad right now. Why? Literally. I was like, fuck, if how is Larry McCoy rearing his ugly, stupid fucking head in this otherwise good episode? Turns out instead, we see Coroner Woody from Psych running a job site, trying to get a bunch of jamokes to do stuff, goes into his trailer and Ed menacingly and silently appears with blueprints ready to murder. No, he's just there to be ominous sounding. Kurt Fuller, one of my favorite that guys. He's got a hell of a lineup. Coroner Woody from Psych uh, had a, a supporting role in the movie Pushing Ten, which not many people have seen, but a great, funny film. Uh, he had a recurring bit part in the West Wing as a... I don't think he was like a joint chief. I think maybe he was on, but he was like in the situation room. Like he was a serious character on the West Wing. What a good fuck it is in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, he started off with Ghostbusters 2. Like he's he's starting off with some good shit. What a what a fucking what a what a lad. A minch. A real star pupil. In what class? He's in a class of his own, Ed. I'm glad nice. you asked. Nice. Ed shows up, said, Oh, there's some real nice construction plans you got here. Be ashamed if something happened to, happen to them. Turns out Woody was actually Siegel in this episode. But we're going to probably call him Woody. We're probably if, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's, there's a decent chance of that. He also a CIA guy. Turns out he was also with the company. Knew a bunch of the folks Ed did. Ed's been out of the game seven years. Siegel's only been out for about 14 months. Siegel asks if Ed's talked to Langley. Ed relays, yeah, of course, these guys were useless. Turns out Siegel was at the golf game with Ed and the now deceased Doc. Ed wants to know what's going on. He knows Siegel knows more than he's letting on, and Siegel's not giving him anything. Plays dumb throughout. Says, look, man, somebody's got it out for you. Fuck do I know? Ed pushes some more. Siegel, pretty understandably, says, look... You're a big target. There's a lot of people that'd be real happy if you went away. And I'm not getting fucking involved because if I get involved, then I got a target on my back. You got a big enough one on yours. I feel bad for you, but I got nothing. Sorry, bud. And also like, look, man, you've got a fucking big ass estate, privacy fence, huge walls. I'm trying to build a couple fucking condos like you're better equipped to handle this bullshit than I am. So sorry about your shit, but I'm out. Yeah. And what I'll say this, Woody would never have left somebody hanging in like that. Oh, not at all. Woody would have tried to help. He would have definitely made things worse and definitely dramatically given worse, just completely false info. But he would have wanted to help. My favorite Woody episode is also maybe one of my favorite episodes of Psych at all. And it's I think it's called Last Night Gus. It's the one where they all. It's it's basically their their riff of the hangover. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That he mm, that's a good one. Yeah. And Woody wakes up spooning Lassie covered in powdered sugar that he thinks is blow. What is all over your face? Yeah, I can't be sure. 
Oh, God. You, you, you didn't see a small Colombian with a hook for an arm, did you? Such a good episode. That is, uh, there are many of them, but that is one of the quintessential, if that episode comes on, I will stop doing whatever I'm doing and watch it. Yeah, you're, you've, the, le- the next 48 minutes of your day are spoken for. Correct. The part where Lassie rises that he shot and killed the giant donut mascot is just. <laughs> oh, it's so good. You put some sunglasses on. My wife and I will routinely scream that at one another for no particular reason. That checks out on so many levels. Like uh, one of us is like overreacted to something. Typically me, my wife will be like, you calm down. Like you calm up. <laughs> we cut to the Germans. Yeah, Sam, the Germans. Sam checking in once again. And they decided, you know what? We're having a great time. We're still killing it. We're staying the night. And Sam's like, yeah, no, I, I got you. Oh, you you mean at the table? Yeah. Yeah, the lazy boys. They, yeah. They, they want the lazy boys. And and the the sleeping hoodent, the sleepy hero, the sleeper house. Like, by the way, this is where this becomes a crossover to our big Lebowski episode. <laughs> the nihilist Germans. You want to fuck Lebowski? <laughs> oh, shit. So Sam realizes he wants the sleeping cap that people always wear outside of 1940s Disney cartoons that are totally a real thing. Well, when you think two white Germans, you definitely want to harken back to the 1940s. (laughs) Good call, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Why would Sam even be allowed to do this? I, I don't know if it's illegal, but I feel like operationally, even without Ed there, Someone has got to be like, no, there's no way. Like if you fall asleep, hypothetically, not saying anyone we know or ourselves have ever done this. But if hypothetically you fall asleep in a chair anywhere in a casino or a sports book, they will balance your ass so fucking fast. It'll make your head spin. And these two are going to set up shop with designs to sleep at the table. Well, no, it's not designs to sleep. It's designs to be comfy. And so the, play the sleeping pres- hood. Hey, it's not the relaxing hood. That's that's how the Germans get comfy. I don't know. They're they're a very tightly wound group. I think the play for Sam, though, makes sense, because if they do fall asleep, yoink, they're gone. But until them let lull them into a literal false sense of security in their nightcaps and their gowns and watch them piss away all the money that they've won off you, which we'll find out. They sure do. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I guess, you know, the the operative question becomes how much do you have to spend to get them to replace your seating arrangement with Lazy Boys and either build platforms under the Lazy Boys or lower the table? Because they're at a conventional high top blackjack table. So those are usually much lower set. Who knows? And I don't know. I I would want to play Baccarat in a Lazy Boy. I don't know if I'd want to play blackjack in one. I, I don't want to play anything on Lazy Boy. G- I'm gambling. thinking if, if I could sit back, relax, maybe I've got some sort of sporting event on, a glass of fine adult beverage, and someone's going to slide me some cards and I can look at them as I see fit, toss them, scream monkey at shit. I could do all that from a Lazy Boy. I don't know. That feels too comfy. And I, I here's the thing. You say that, but I've watched you play Baccarat many times. Baccarat is is a an energy game. That's not a relaxed yeah, you're game. Right. You're you're there you're for right. battle. Is there is there a relaxed game? You know, you know what the only option might be? Pygao tiles. Pygao. 
And basically, you just said you just you're gonna fully recline, and you're gonna say, "Wake me up when it matters," and you'll get a solid twenty minute nap in houseway. Yeah, wake me up when I'm supposed to give a shit. <laughs> like once every twelve hands, I'm like, uh, "Sir, you lost." No, okay. <laughs> Put another two hundred bucks out there. Fuck it, <laughs> it's pie gal. It lasts forever. Ed and Danny meet in a parking lot where Ed briefs Danny in the situation, including the first, at least on screen, confirmation of his CIA past. And Danny, who has been waiting to nut this entire run of the show, starts in with, and Ed's like, motherfucker. Sure, there's some things that you wondered about. If you were in the CIA, you can let me do this or not. Yeah, I worked for the company from time to time. They approach me, they need help. I give that help. This time it went pear shaped. And I do not like doing this. In fact, I am physically in pain having to do this, but I need your help. Can you bail me out? Dane's like, I got you. And what starts is for me, the best sequence of the entire episode. Mike and Danny show up at Siegel's construction site to, to begin the process of shaking him down. They're obliquely threatening him like, hey, bud, you know shit. We need to know it. It's not going to go well for you if we don't know it. Do the right thing here. Put Las Vegas on Peacock. This is the, there's the easy way or the hard way. We're giving you the easy way opportunity. You can't say we are not sporting fellows. Help us out. We're going to get what we need. The question is, how steep of a price do you pay <laughs> along the way? And he's like, fuck you, get off my job site. And he's like, not a problem. And his line, Vegas is a big city, Arnie, but sometimes it can seem like a small town. If you're him at this point, and by him, I mean Woody. Mm -hmm. And you don't just immediately go find out who this dating guy is and find out he knows everybody. Some fucking CIA operative you were. Because what should have happened is Woody should have gone back to his fucking trailer, picked up the phone, been like, what do you know about Danny McCoy? Oh, Danny. Yeah, I went to high school with him. Great guy. Okay. Call somebody else. We know about Danny. Oh, Danny. Yeah, we're on the baseball team. Oh, okay. About three or four more calls. You go, fuck. All right. And then you call Danny. And you say, yeah, the guy's name is... Tolvich or whatever the fuck it is like I'm sorry I should have known my bad I choose I hereby formally elect the easy way right but it's it's also not surprising that this guy who is still new to town sees you know Danny and Mike in and of themselves are not the most threatening looking guys we get the GQ throwaway joke reference it's a dumb play by Woody but it's not too surprising that a former CIA guy sees these two clowns one of them hands him a casino business card and he's like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. What do I care? My question for you, I know Danny needs somebody to go with him to to boost the image. Mike is the last person I would take. Mike does not seem threatening at all. Like Danny, if Danny shows up, he is a chiseled, angry looking person. I mean, his eyes tell you, I will fucking ruin this job site. Like, I don't give any shits. Sure. But then you look at Mike and Mike's like, I just like the sharper image catalog. <laughs> let's let's play with drones and be friends. And I'm like, oh, well, if you two are in this together, I'm not worried. I don't know who else Danny brings, but it's sure shit, not Mike. But I figure the way they walk together and even from the very start, it's like, what are you two cops? Like they have the buddy cop thing going. Obviously, they've done this type of deal many times before. They can play off that better. I agree that Mike is not in any way a threatening guy, but again, they weren't there to be physically intimidating. No, but Mike's not even emotionally intimidating. That's why like, he kept the sunglasses on. 
You put some sunglasses on. We get a quick throwaway where we've got interview part three. It's a seemingly sweet married couple. They're from Salt Lake City. I actually rewound the action because I thought for sure they're going to be from the Midwest. <laughs> I thought a thousand percent they're going to be from the upper Midwest. They definitely had that vibe. They work from home. They seem absolutely perfect. They've got a full packet of information. They've done their own credit reports, bank statements, and they even swung by the house to take a look and did some impromptu unsolicited maintenance. What what fucking great people, Ed? Who wouldn't want them as tenants? Well, it turns out perhaps the lucky six shouldn't have, perhaps, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, they accept them on the spot, and I'm sure that's not going to have any consequence to our story. No. Also, would you trust somebody who says, yeah, here's my credit report. Wink. I pulled it just for you. It's definitely the real <laughs> one. This is the Carfax. You don't need to get it. This is it. The one that says no damage history. This is for sure the authentic Carfax. Can't you see the Photoshop of the fox on it that says TM, TM, TM next to it? It's totally real. It must be legitimate. <laughs> Please don't look it up. And the crime database. Hey, this was not the blue paint on the inside was a stylistic choice, not from a bank robbery gone wrong. But it works on the ladies accepted right on the spot. There you go. They've got tenants. Hooray. Then we're back to the good stuff. That yes. good stuff. That good, good shakedown. It's such a good scene. Siegel walking in, walking out of the, I guess, the local planning zoning board, what have you, yelling to the heavens, yelling at the person behind the desk. These plans were approved yesterday. What the hell do you mean they're no good now? Angrily storming off. And then you see a young Danny McCoy enjoying himself a sandwich sitting outside. What would be your go-to fuck you, I own you sandwich to be munching on while someone's life is melting down in front of them? It's not a sandwich. It's an apple. Apple is the only correct food here because you get that crunch. So here's the thing. I think I, I agree with you on spec. But I would much prefer a sandwich than an apple. Oh, sure. My thought is you have to have a very well condimented sandwich because everything needs to be sticking together. Because if something falls out of your sandwich while you're eating it, it's ruining your whole vibe. Right. My go to sandwich is a turkey club. You can't do that while you're watching somebody melt down. Because what if a piece of bacon falls out of the sandwich? So many ingredients. You look like a fucking idiot. You get a little bit of tomato juice out, Mm. like running down your hand. Get fucked. You were such a fucking rube at that point. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, I can weather this storm. I can't even eat a fucking sandwich. Yeah, here's a napkin, you jamoke. Is it a PBJ? I was, as you were going, I was like, the the safest, smartest play here is a PBJ. But then you got to be worried about your ability to talk shit. What if you get a very peanut buttery bite? And it's just so unintimidating. I don't, but maybe it's so unintimidating that it's reverse intimidating. Ooh, okay. Like, if, if this guy is going to strong guy me while chowing down on a PBJ, he must fucking mean business. That's, yeah, because who, who would, wait, why are, why are you eating a PBJ? It'll, but you have to it, have a beverage with a PBJ, so I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah, with all that peanut butter, you start getting the tongue stuck to the roof of the mouth, and it's just. Is it, is it, is it just a straight turkey sandwich? What about a grilled cheese? It's going to it's going to have the pull parts. You're mm, going to. Yeah. Like, br- bro, you got cheese on your chin. You fucking animal. I think I think it's got to be just like you can go turkey. You can go ham. You can't do too much. Yeah. You're looking at three ingredients top. Yeah. No lettuce, no tomato, because nothing that can have, that you can't bite through cleanly. Mm-hmm. Nothing that could have juice run on you. 
I could see my way to letting you put pickles on your sandwich from a strong guy perspective, but it's gross from a sandwich perspective. Yeah. Why would you ever want a pickle on your sandwich? That's just only acceptable pickle on a sandwich is the Chick-fil-A sandwich. Only acceptable pickle in a sandwich is a dead sandwich and a dead pickle because they're bad. You see, I think by the time they get to become a pickle, they're long since dead. By the time you become a pickle, you're going to be long since dead. You put a pickle on a sandwich. I will not, sir. How dare you? Unimpressed by the fact that Danny's dad is on the planning commission. Siegel still says, fuck you. I'm out of here. Heads outside, discovers his car is being towed due to 146 unpaid parking tickets. That is at least 132 too many park unpaid parking tickets. Only for Danny to walk by smugly, polishing off his sando. Just, ah, worried about your car. And not even a look towards him. Just, just a smug little stroll right on by. Reminder, I'm just a dude eating a sando. How can... How could I make parking tickets appear out of nowhere? I'm just some idiot that works for a casino. So Siegel finds Danny back at the casino. We discovered that Danny's had his entire job site shut down at this point. He's like, you're fucking killing me here, bud. This is my livelihood. Danny's like, hey, let me let you in a little secret. I don't give a single fuck about the heartburn this is causing you. You've got information. I need it. And if you think today sucked, wait till you see tomorrow, you piece of shit. Yeah, you have you have 12 hours. The clock is ticking. I'm oh, I've only just begun. It is so impressive. It's as Danny's walking away. Siegel's finally like, OK, fuck, I, I got nothing here. Uncle, come on. I, I tap. I tap. GG's. There's one guy from way back. Tolliver. It's got to be Tolliver. And that's enough for Danny. He's happy with that. We cut away. The irony, it turns out that night, that name might not have even been necessary. They may have ruined Woody's life for a day for no reason. Because back at Ed's villa, Mike sets up a bunch of surveillance equipment in Ed's office. Danny secured some security footage from the golf course that shows there's been this guy following him. And Ed's like, oh, yeah, fucking Tolliver. I know that guy uh, does what work for the agency. And uh, well, I guess there's no really good way of putting this. Uh, I killed his brother. So maybe he does have beef with me. I don't know. Who could say? I I think the name did help, though, because at first, before we get the cams going, Danny says the name was Tolliver. And you see Ed sort of tumbling it about his skull and nothing's popping. But then when he sees the guy, it's like Tolliver. Yeah, but there's no way that when they see when they roll that beautiful bean footage that Ed's not like, Oh, that's oh, Tolliver. That or, or let's go find out who that fucker is. Sure. But hey, it's good to know that Danny's got that club in the back, right? If, yeah. he, if anyone in town is involved in construction, do not fuck with Danny or his people because you are donezo. I thought it would have been great. A little bit of fan service Easter egg. If we'd gotten a throwback to the concrete, like if Danny had like somehow gotten his concrete pour canceled. That would have been pretty funny. Like he's on the phone. He's like nine months for some fucking concrete. We come out of commercial to discover from the retelling of Ed that Tolliver's brother was a real piece of shit. He did some stuff that got a, a good guy captured and tortured. CI told Ed to take him out. And Ed's like, hey, would have done it without the phone call. Fuck this kid. But then Tolliver gets tasked with this Vegas hit, sees an opportunity to frame the guy that killed his brother. It's like, that's eh, pretty good. Gonna have a hard time passing this one up. Two for one specials, always hard to pass up. I will tip my hand a little bit to say that the only thing I will say I really 
did not like about this episode that I found really incongruent was Ed seems defeated. Like he's like, well, fuck, there's no way to get out of this situation. And then Mike runs in with this idea that we'll get into. But I'm like, where does this come from? Like, this is not from the Big Ed playbook of like, well, he got me. I'll just cash in with a few chips I have left and right off in the sunset. Like you've got surveillance footage of the guy. You know what he does. You can go back to your agency contacts and be like, hey, motherfuckers, I know who did it. Like you can bring him in for the cold or I can from the witness stand. Very un-Ed like to just say, well, I guess I'm boned. I, I agree with you. I guess Ed's thinking is, well, shit, this was a CIA sanctioned hit. They're not going to def- they're not going to take out one of their own against even a former. And so my only option here is I got to kill this guy. And so then I'm going to get dimed out for that one, I guess, is the logic. I don't know. But I'm with you. He- but there but he knew that it was a CIA contract killing. So like there's no new information that would make the situation worse. Yeah. It is only better. It seemed like an early tap for sure. Yeah. But Mike's like, no, no, no. I've been doing some shit with some phone records. Have a little bit more faith in the Montecito crime fighting team. Okay. And we found his billing address. It's in West LA. And it seems like everyone has discussed and laid out this plan because without any other conversation, Mike's like, Hey, so how long do you think it takes to pin over the logo on a jet? And everyone's like, yeah, I know what that means. Well, real quick, by the way, the answer to that question a minimum of 12 hours from when the paint goes on just to let it dry. And that's assuming all you need is one coat, which with aviation paint, you do not because you do multiple thin coats because paint is secretly heavy and planes don't like extra weight. Why wouldn't they just put a sticker over the logo? A decal, if you will. I'm beginning to think you don't know how airplanes work. But like a really sticky one. I'm sure that wouldn't look suspicious at all. Why is there a giant blank decal on the tail fin of this airplane? Oh, <laughs> not on the tip, just over the big old Montecito logo on the side. Uh, there's one on the side and then there's also a big old M on the tail. Ah, uh, damn. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's a well-branded fucking jet. <laughs> I, I guess that is the point. Technically, so if this thing is going in for a full paint job, it has to be stripped, reprimed and repainted. It is a minimum week long process. Well, Ed's out on bail. The justice system moves slowly. They're fine. And also, Tolliver's not going anywhere. He feels like he's made in the shade. Yeah, he thinks he won. He's probably just going to hang out. Instead, we get we get exterior, Santa Monica, California, title card with location and time, interior, neighborhood bar, low lighting. It's like, all of a sudden, we get this dramatic... It's like they switched directors in the middle of the fucking episode. Like, What? All of a sudden, it became low rent born movie. Yes, one hundred percent. But we've now got Danny and Mike rolling in in their Halloween party city FBI agent costumes, complete with sunglasses. Well, yeah, because you're not going to get CIA agent. You can't get you can't secure the branding for that. So you get FBI, and you just hope that the guy will go along with it. Precisely. God damn it! That was an unforced error for your boy. <laughs> Sorry, this is one big grand journey we're on together. (laughs) We show up, Danny and Mike roll in, fake agent costumes in play, saddle up next to Tolliver, just sadly drinking alone in the bar in the middle of the day, as one is wont to do. Tolliver, seeing these two guys saddle up next to him, starts to reach for his gun, and Danny hilariously says, Put that away. Which for some reason tickled me to no end. And what a flex. 
I mean, you've got that's the kind of confidence you have to have to pull this kind of a bit off, right? That's a real big dick energy move. It, it is indeed. They show up seemingly from the company to try and say, hey, Ed knows your cover's blown. We can help you out. If not, you know, the line's going to show up and he's going to take care of you on his own. Come with us. We'll get we'll get you to safety. We'll get it all taken care of. Tolliver, unsurprisingly, says, yeah, I'm not afraid of the line. Throws a fiver on the bar to pay for his beer. Says, I got this and bails. Danny then says to Mike, this isn't going to kill him, right? Which is about as ominous of a sentence as you can get. Not a good sentence. Especially when Mike's answer is, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So so Mike says 60% sure. How serious do we think he is with that estimation? Because this is murder in the first if he fucks it up. Yeah, you've got to think that he is trying to lighten the mood or something here because there's no way you're going to leave this. It time. reads as an honest assessment. It sure like does. He's not confident. Which they are out way ahead of their skates on this one. Just knowing Ed is not going to absolve you of what could happen when Mr. Tolliver puts his key in his ignition and the engine fucking explodes in his car. This was a homage to the opening scene of Casino, right? Had like with the especially with the like terribly obvious mannequin shot. If somebody wasn't very intentionally doing it, it's somebody who has seen the movie a billion times and loved it and just from their own mind recreated right. it without realizing it. Like it, it brainwormed its way out and onto the film. Yeah. Because what a fucking callback. It sure looks pretty shot for shot. And hey, Mike's plan worked both of that he didn't die and that he was convinced because now we're on board the unbranded Montecito jet where a trembling Tolliver is sipping on some brown liquor while our boys assure him, hey, 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 it's fine. We're whisking you away from danger. No big deal. The gig is almost up as he reaches for some matches sitting in an ashtray to light his cigarette. Quick thinking by Mike realizes, oh, those are Montecito branded. We spent a week and hundreds of thousands of dollars repainting the jet. Didn't police up the matchbooks, though. Mm. You would also think that probably all of the tumblers in there also have a big old M on them. Yeah, uh, the ashtray probably does. Yeah. I mean, coasters. It, I, I almost like the idea that everything else they thought of, except for the damn matchbook and the ashtray, because neither of them smoke. And like the seats probably have an upholstered M in them, mm -hmm. like a stitched M. Like you just throw a couple blankets over those. You're good. Fortunately, Mike prevents the ruse from unraveling. We zoom from the jet to the rental house for a quick scene where Sam and Mary are dropping off some high speed Internet equipment that had been delivered to the casino earlier on behalf of their tenants. A man at the door inquires, oh, are, are you here for the audition? What audition? Sam asks as a guy in boy shorts squeezes past them. Turns out the wholesome couple from Salt Lake are, uh, well, they're using the house to shoot porn, Ed, is what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that explains the need for 19 modems for one house. One modem per dick? Well, you figure the way that porn churns out all the videos so quick, they got to film a bunch of them all at once. You want to upload them as fast as you can. To the cloud. To the cloud. The porn cloud. Got to do that. Now, Google, AWS, Microsoft Azure. This is an opportunity for one of you three players in the cloud space to sponsor this podcast. Let's just drop this right here. Don't you want to be associated with this quality, quality product? We'll, we'll even name the porn cloud after you. It's the least we could do. The jet's landed. It's pulled into a hangar where they throw Tolliver into an unmarked van and take him to what 
our newfangled title cards call an undisclosed location. Psst, it's Treasure Island. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's an unmarked hotel room with the blinds drawn. Tolliver concludes he's somewhere on the East Coast based on the flight time and the fact that Danny said his watch ahead three hours. There's some pitter patter about how the room sucks, which it doesn't. It is objectively a perfectly fine hotel room. Yeah, you're not at a Motel 6 qu- here. No. He gets a quick room service order in and then Mike steps out to check the perimeter, which really is just to give Danny time to get cozy with Tolliver and convince him to talk. And talk he does. Danny plays this astoundingly well for once. I agree. Well, we saw him play it very well in the third episode where he had the prosty go up and get the knockoff for I driver out. This is not the Bureau's jurisdiction. <laughs> so this is not this is not virgin territory for my mind, for my man Danny here. Sure. He knows what's going on. But he is he has had some instances where this has not gone well for him, but he plays it well here. They've not all been winners. I grant you. Anyway, Danny gets Mr. Tolliver to pretty much spill everything. We learn that Ed has a rare component to his blood. Too much RH, was it? Or not enough. There, there, something's wrong with the RH levels. A different RH? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's hemoglobins. Uh, that's, you put some RH on. <laughs> no, you put some, you take some RH off, sir. Either way, turns out Ed, just in case, because he's got this super weird blood, has to put some in a blood bank just in case, you know, he loses a bunch and he can't just go off the rack. He wants that custom shit. And according to Mr. Tolliver, it's extremely easy to break into a blood bank. That is both A, weird information, and B, something anyone would know if you've seen the cinematic classic Blade. Which I haven't, but what my question presupposes is, can I just bank blood because I would prefer my own blood if I get into an accident? Like, is that an option afforded to average Joe citizen? I mean, think about it. You can do it with reproductive material. I'm I'm sure there are. What if I arrange for what if I arrange for a a one for you, one for me thing? Like I'll I'll give blood every like five weeks or whatever it is that you can. And one goes into the global blood bank and one goes into my private blood bank. I think there are probably specialized locations that would be willing to fulfill your needs there. And then what do you do when you go to the hospital? How big of an asshole do you have to sound like, no, 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 just give me my own blood. Call this number. They'll be here in 20 minutes or less. Give them this access code. Like, what, is this guy some fucking racist? Like, bud, it's all blood. You're fine. No, just give me my stuff. I want my blood. I have an RH thing. You wouldn't understand. You're just a dumb doctor. Sir, there's nothing in art. There's no such thing as RH in blood. What are you talking about? The doctor told me it was there. You put some RH on. And then you slip into a coma and die. Danny gets the confession, gets all smug, steps, gets up, steps outside with Mike, setting Tolliver, scrambling for clues as to his current location. The room has been pretty thoroughly sanitized, much more carefully than the jet. So eventually he goes to the blinds, peeks through them, then throws them open to reveal, ah, fuck, this is the strip. I'm at Treasure Island. I've been had. This bodes poorly. How do they, how do they? How did they get rid of all the hotel branding between the lobby, between the van and the room? Because like he didn't come in in a fucking bag over his head. I mean, it's possible they put one on in the van or maybe you take him because he's sitting in the back with no windows. You go underground freight elevator. Like back entrance. Yeah. Yeah. And then. And maybe maybe you bag him from the van to to the the floor. Yeah. Yeah. But a panic Tolliver goes to the door, opens it, find an angry ad and Metro police 
and boom, you got got. Yeah. You see, they staged the whole thing. Tolliver, it was a ruse. Ed cracks his nose, gets him, gets him with a good right hand. Metro rolls in. They're going to take him away. Stole no RHR. Good guys. Nowhere to be found. Good guys win. The episode's denouement. We're back at the Montecito. Ed's being welcomed back. The Germans are dying at the table, having given away all their wins and 600,000 more. So to your point, great play by Sam to extricate all those good, good euros from those limey fucks. Isn't that Delinda, British folk? Delinda comes up to welcome back her dad and the topic of the rental property comes up basically out of nowhere. We've got bad news about the tenants and also we're going to need some money for repairs. First, first question. What fucking repairs? They were shooting porn. They weren't fucking the walls. Well, there's there's a lot of repainting that probably has to be done. Some some they're not living there. Work. They don't need to tell the next tenants that. Yeah, you're going to clean the shit out of it. Probably literally. But other than that, like, you know, probably sex harnesses were hung in ceilings. And so you got to repatch those. I don't know. Sure. The bigger issue. Mike and Danny have to come up with 2K and Ed has to come up with 5K. He's involved in this two-bit real estate scheme. The, the lucky six is now the lucky seven. and Right, which, look, that does make more sense nomenclaturally. Sure, but also, Ed, this is certainly beneath Ed's level of bothering with. Yeah, and had even he, at his two and a half times share. So is he like the managing partner of this gig? I, Whoever drew up these articles of incorporation have some work to do, clearly. Why the fuck would Ed do this? It is... To your point, an absolutely irrelevant amount. Yeah, there's no chance Ed would actually be involved in this chicanery. No, no. And it's not like he's putting up half. Like, that would at least make some sense. Like, they couldn't make it happen without him. So, Delinda goes and bats her eyes. You know, they're basically at six partners. And instead, they're at eight and a half partners. Like, that's... The house didn't look that nice. And real estate's not that expensive in Anderson. No, no. Ed, did you like the episode? Loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like this was another one that was kind of 90% a story. Yeah. And to that end, you could, I could almost have done without the B and C stories, but I thought the a story was great. I, I always like when we delve into Ed's CIA past and I thought we saw great performances out of pretty much everybody. How about yourself? Yeah. I, like I said, like I insinuated earlier, I really liked it. The a story rocked, uh, you know, the small st- stuff with the Germans, I thought was a lot of fun. Even the investment property story, was, I mean, it's a weird tangent and it makes no sense, but it was good for some comic relief and it gave the balance of the core cast something to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, without feeling burdensome. So, yeah, I really liked it. I mean, look, we had Woody from Psych on. It, it was going to be impossible for me to not have a good time. It certainly would have been hard pressed. But we have hard question to answer here. Do we have a new chip leader? Nah, Danny fucking crushed this episode. I agree. I mean, this is going to be an unprecedented back to back to back to back. Our first four Pete. Tom Amansky is somewhere losing his mind right now. Danny's Vegas mafia connections were the game changer in this episode. Hands down. Ed is going to prison without Danny. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. All of the construction bullshit we dealt with in season one finally paid off here. And the way Danny played it in every instance the the stuff at the you know at the city offices just smugly being like mm, yeah that sucks when the plans go away and my dad's on and my dad's on the planning commission and I know three quarters of the people working at the mayor's office and oh shit your car just got towed which we've seen him use a couple times now 
I think he's horny for towing people's cars. I think he like literally gets off on it. I mean, think about how much of a complete day ruiner that is. That is such a fuck it's you. Bad. And also there's a certain amount of like my car has been sullied, baby Jeffrey forever unclean to it. Yeah, it's that is that is one of the most devastating things you can do to somebody that does not involve bodily harm, I feel like. So I want to see about injecting a little bit of energy into our chip leader bit. Because we've had Danny atop for a while now. It's he's he's on a run. I'm going to suggest let's do a rapid fire. You get no more than six words per person. If you even need them, rank the seven members of the core cast on the chip lead, you know, where there's where their stacks are. OK, I'll go first. Give you time to think. I've got it. Danny, Mike, Ed, based purely on this episode and, and how we got to here. I think Mike was a great support. Ed, meh. Sam emerges from the the women of the lucky six, the best Mary, Nessa, Delinda, Nessa, not even part of it. Delinda, an abject piece of shit this episode. And Mary at least helped out at the golf course. But Sam for knowing that that Ed could definitely, definitely have killed somebody. Sure. So you're looking just this episode or where I think no, the standings. current standings. Current standings. OK, that's current standings. Uh, I, I mean, Danny, obviously one. I think Ed, two. Honestly, I think I've got Mary at three. She has been dealing with a lot this season and has been smarter about it than pretty much everyone else on the cast. That's fair. Uh, and in addition, played her part well this episode. Uh, Sam four, Mike five, because Mike had a rough first two episodes. He got out Mike'd not once, but twice. Yeah, that's a really good point. He missed the boat with Leah. He, he's been playing pretty abjectly terribly. I think I gave him too much credit for this episode. I think you're right. His This episode put him above Nessa, who has been, I'd say, pretty neutral. She really hasn't done anything. She was she was nice enough with Fred. She was nice enough with Fred, but let him off easy. She played that as well as anyone could have in that situation. And then, like you said, Delinda hasn't been great. So that's where I'd put it. Ed, what are we on tab for next week? Next week on Pod at the Montecito. Catch of the day. A high-end wedding at the Montecito is threatened with failure when a truckload of lobsters is stolen, sending Sam across the country for replacements and Danny and Mike looking for the thieves. Delinda's childhood boyfriend comes to her with startling news, and Mary books Michael Buble for the wedding, but he refuses to sing. I'm going to lean forward because I want to make sure the mic catches us through the pop filter. <sighs> yeah, I don't remember this one being a banger. Fuck. I, I'm pretty sure this was the, okay, we started out hot. We got a slow season two on down. We can't go up, 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 up the whole way. Got to bring everybody back down. Isn't shift. this the one where Michael Buble is a fucking mime? He's a a magician, a mime. I think he tries out all sorts of things. It's, I don't remember this one being great. Oi. Yeah. And and sadly, it's not like with shrimp where you can just ring the scrimp bell and get more scrimp. Like who knows where you're going to find more lobsters in Las Vegas. There ain't no such thing as a lobster bell. Of course not. Lobster gong. There is a mystical stories of a lobster gong. You can't just. This is the part where I remind people that in the early days of the Northeast, lobsters were thought of as being such trash food. They were served to prisoners. We've all fallen victim to the marketing scheme of Big Lobster. Yeah, but lobster's fucking good, though. Yeah, that's just what they want you to say. No, I'm. Hey, Big Lobster, add us if you need some good, good advertiser uh, or, or, or podcast mojo coming your way. We got you. <laughs> I'm feeling fucking untouchable now.
Speaking of heat checks, you got any advice for our audience? Kids, if you're going to own a property and lease it out to tenants, it's always a good idea to make sure that your lease agreements have a very strict no filming pornography on site clause and make sure that attached to that is a liquidated damages clause for cleaning up, well, liquidated damages. Yeah. Uh, Normally, when you're going to make a really shitty joke like that, you at least have caused me to do it to myself in some way. This one is all your fault. Get it? Because and by the way, the semen. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the other, the let me, let me go ahead and punch up the joke for you. You should have changed the second one to liquid damages. I actually thought about that in reverse course. Do you want to? Do you want to retake the advice? No, I'm good. Okay. I've already got Debbie printing the bandanas. So, and are they going to say liquidated? So who knows? Or are you going to call? Are you going to make the make that change and post? We'll we'll see what Debbie thinks. Fucking Debbie. All right, my friend. Well, I appreciate your time as always. I've had a blast. Thank you to our listeners for all their five-star reviews, their activity on the social media platforms, some of which causes them to delete their accounts because they're so scared of having been seen by the behemoth that is at Montecito Pod. It's a, it's a very friendly Twitter account. Don't be scared. Some, some apparently have felt too friendly. Don't, don't be scared. But once again... I've had a great time. I hope you have as well. Always, my friend. I look forward to next week. And until then, I've been Judd. He's been Ed. And as you no doubt know, this has been Pod at the Montecito. This is...